think this topic is going to be very controversial and it's not for you. It's not a problem to come back to a different episode which might actually resonate. But I'm very interested in this subject. Can people really heal their mental health with psychedelics? Is this the future of treatment when it comes to anxiety, PTSD, depression and so on? Can it really help reset your mind and body to help you get your life back on track? Or is it as dangerous as the naysayers proclaim? Is it just a magic bullet and wishful thinking to try and sort something out that actually needs a lot more work on it? So let's get some answers. And I'm pleased to welcome with me nurse and healthcare professional Laura Solomon, who's also authored a very fabulous book, Wounds to Wisdom. And she says that psychedelics changed her life so much, she now works with people to help them do the same. So let's dive deep on the Mindset Change Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Shepard, and I'm here to help you change your mindset so you can change your life. Before we begin, can I ask you a huge, lovely favor? Can you hit the follow and subscribe button as it really does make a difference to helping people find this podcast? I would be very, very grateful for your help. Also, if you'd like to find out more about the Mindset Change WhatsApp community and the new group coaching events, contact me through the show notes. Let's begin. I'm very, very excited to have this conversation with Laura Solomon. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation too. Well, I'm I'm excited, but a little bit nervous because I know nothing about this subject. <laughs> Nothing at all. Did no prep for it because I thought, Do you know what, I'm just going to be, have a click, like a fresh slate for this with you. Yeah, um, beginner's mind. I like it. Yeah, and just be open to what you're saying. Um, so if you could introduce yourself to the audience and say, and explain a bit about yeah. what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, awesome. So I am a, a woman, a mother, a partner, um, an explorer, an adventurer, and a nurse practitioner. And I have been on a journey like all of us to become more whole, to explore, to um, be curious about life. And the path, what we're going to talk about today, I want to kind of preface it by saying I didn't just wake up one day and decide that this is going to be a focus or a topic that I want to talk about. I came to it through my own journey. So I experienced um, some domestic violence and trauma and religious trauma during my childhood and um, had a suicide attempt when I was in my teens and then suffered with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation off and on and explored the more conventional routes because I was a nurse and then a nurse practitioner. Like what does conventional medicine have to offer? And Then I developed chronic pain in my body in my 30s, and I had kind of dealt with the anxiety, depression, you know, in my own way with medications, with counseling. And but when I started having pain in my body, it really grabbed my attention because I considered myself to be healthy. I am healthy. I eat right. I exercise. I, um, you know, don't have a lot of bad habits. I'm not perfect, but I felt like. I was a pretty healthy person, and so the pain didn't make sense. And then I went to the doctor, the conventional doctor, and I would end up from one specialist to the next. No one really could figure out what was wrong with me. 
And I ended up kind of, I took a lot of pharmaceuticals and um, was getting more and more depressed and anxious as chronic pain will, will, you know, and not understanding why I think that would make anyone depressed and anxious. And so I ended up kind of giving up and saying, you know, can I curse on here? You can curse on here. I don't think the audience minds. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, fuck do it. it. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. going to go have to go take a fucking meditation class. Like, that's how <laughs> I felt about yeah, yeah. that world. Like, ugh, you know, like none of the real science is working here. So I'm going to mm. have to go and do some of this crazy stuff. And I ended up in a class with a woman who happened to be a minister and I told her what was going on with me, and she introduced me to the work of Carolyn Mace, who is a medical intuitive. And medical um, Carolyn Mace had written a book called The Anatomy of the Spirit, and she was able to talk about how essentially unresolved mental and emotional issues show up in your body. Mm-hmm. So no one had ever made that connection for me. I understood bad things happen. You can be anxious and depressed. I never understood things happen and that could become physical illness. Like no one in mm-hmm. you know, all my training, all my graduate school, no one had ever, probably the closest I had ever gotten to that was, oh yeah, chronic stress can give you ulcers, right? So that was like the only narrative I had heard around stress or anxiety can cause physical problems. So that that was kind of the journey, the beginning of the journey of understanding this connection between who we are as a soul, a spirit, and who we are as a physical being and where those two things meet. And so I spent a good 20 years exploring a lot of things in that area. I did everything from shamanic work, breath work, fire walking, um, you know, all kinds of meditations, all kinds of retreats. And, you know, I think all of those things had a benefit and all of those things um, helped to a certain point. And then about four years ago, I read a book. Well, actually, I was in my car listening to public radio, and they were interviewing a fellow named Michael Pollan on a, his recently published book, How to Change Your Mind. And I was, I sat in my car and I was riveted by this conversation because they were talking about the potential benefits of psychedelics. And this was completely new to me. I had never also learned about any of this in my training, Mm -hmm. but he was presenting science and he was talking about our history. And Michael Pollan is an author, journalist that I respect. He'd written The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is also one of my favorite books. So I, that got me going with Mm -hmm. what, what, what is this psychedelic thing? And at that point, there were there was 15 years of research out of Johns Hopkins in the U.S. and then um, there was also research coming out of the Imperial College um, in the U.K. about it. So this was happening; it was going on, and I eventually found a retreat center. It was run by the Psychedelic Society in London, but they were holding retreats in the Netherlands where psilocybin is um, legal. And so that was my first experience with, it was a psilocybin truffle and it had such a profound impact on me. It was able to help me to get to a place of safety in my body and understanding about who I am that nothing I had done before was able to get me to. 
Now I'm aware that potentially all the things I had done before prepared me for that. Maybe, I don't know. Um, so I'm not saying the other stuff didn't help me. I don't think that's, I, I don't know. Um, but it, I either I was ready or it was the right thing at the right time. And that led me into more exploration, exploring other psychedelics and um, eventually being able to be off of a pharmaceutical for anxiety and depression for the first time in my adult life. Wow. So wow. I'm a huge believer. That's my, that's my story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's, so it's, now it's a big what story. I do is, yeah. And so I, as a healthcare provider, teacher, just human, like I was like, I want to do everything I can do to make this accessible. And accessibility means talking about it, mm-hmm. bringing it into the conversation, normalizing it. Um, you know, I grew up in the era of the war on drugs, you know, the commercials on TV, this is your brain, this is the brain, your brain on drugs, don't take any psychedelic or you'll jump on the top of a building and think you can fly and fall off. And I know tragic things have happened, but this was just not even in my consciousness to, to be aware of it. So I feel like the accessibility, just us having this conversation is... Yeah you know, bringing that to consciousness. And then there are other things that I do. All right. So I'm going to stop. I <laughs> felt like I, I gave you a lot there. <laughs> you did. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, so let's go back to uh, you. So you went to the Netherlands and you took a psilocybin yes. uh, truffle. What was it like? Yes. Well, it was, it was really, well, it was just terrifying. It was terrifying. Yeah. The way it worked is we all met in Amsterdam and the, some of the retreat facilitators took us to, facilitators took us to the store. So they told us what to buy because you like was in the refrigerator section. It was a little package right. of just kind of these ugly brown looking things. Yeah. And we went to the retreat center, which was in the countryside. And we had two days of preparation where we were getting in circle, we were talking, we were communicating. And then the day of the retreat, we were all, the day of the ceremony, we were all gathered in a room together. We kind of had brought our mattresses and pillows and things. Everybody was dressed, you know, in in a comfortable clothes. So there were 12 women and there were five, 12 women participating and then five facilitators in the room. And we, um, we said a prayer, we had a circle, and then we um, mashed up the truffles and we put it in hot water with ginger and lemon and honey. So it was a beverage. Okay. And I remember we were all sitting around in this circle and I'm like, have my little cup in my hand. And I'm like, oh, you know, I had that moment of, are you familiar with David Koresh? Um, he name was someone familiar. in the U.S. like yeah. 20 okay. years ago who right. who was a, a basically a cult leader and I'm oh, yes, not I sure, heard, yeah. I, I hope I'm not mixing this up, but there was there was one that had them kind of drinking Kool-Aid and they all died. Oh, okay. Okay, so I was like, I was like, oh God, am I in some kind of cult and I'm drinking some kind of Kool-Aid? And I mean, so I had that moment of yeah. what the hell am I doing here? You know? Yeah, yeah. This isn't me. I'm scared. I'm terrified. Um, so we drank the tea and I didn't even finish my first cup. 
I didn't even see till afterwards that the package says, do not under any circumstances exceed more than one full package. And we had two packages in our cups. What? Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) No, I didn't see that. But people were there. Most, I would say more than half the people there had had psychedelic experiences and they were there intentionally to have a really powerful experience with supervision and with help, you know, and so you know, that was the intention to really have a full-blown mystical experience in a safe setting. And so that's why we, but I, I got sick. I was the only person in the room who got sick. So I spent the first hour laying on the floor in the bathroom because I was sick to be, not to be too graphic, but from yeah. both ends. So I couldn't even get off. Of, I, I didn't even want to leave the toilet because I was just purging. Mm. Which is kind of unusual, actually. Um, it's more common with other psychedelics, especially with ayahuasca. But with psilocybin, it's a little unusual to have that. And so I was really disappointed. I thought, I didn't keep it in my system. I'm not mm. going to have an experience. This is terrible. And I was really sad and upset. And then I realized that I was having a conversation with the mushroom. What, and the what mushroom was saying to me, so you... Th- so I was I was sitting there saying this isn't working this is terrible I came all the way to the Netherlands I'm not having it this nothing works out for me I was kind of going into that spiral you yeah. know and then in the in the conversation I realized I was actually talking to the mushroom itself and the wow. mushroom was saying to me oh so you think you're not having an experience and then I was like laughing because I was like oh. Oh, I'm talking to a mushroom, so maybe I am having an experience. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's hard to explain um, yeah. because it wasn't like it was just like a mushroom standing there with a face. It was more like a knowing. It was like um, it's it's hard to explain. And that's one of the hallmarks of a mystical experience is mm. that um, it's a novel experience, and so there are not words in the language that we have to explain it. And that's one of the hallmarks of an, a mystical experience is mm. words words fail you okay. um, in, uh, in, in describing it um, because we just it's just such a novel uh, out of the ordinary. And, you know, a lot of people call these non-ordinary states of consciousness. And certainly psychedelics are not the only way to have a mystical experience Mm. or a non-ordinary state of consciousness. But it is indeed a very powerful way to have have one. So, yeah, that was what the day was like. It lasted. um, We kind of were just laying around. Um, There was music playing. The facilitators were walking around. And then... um, the most intense part lasted, I think we drank the tea around noon, and by 7 p.m., most people were kind of coming back down to earth. Hmm. Uh, so it's a pretty full day. Yeah. Sounds quite intense. A lot intense. of crying, a lot of yeah. laughing. Yeah, yeah. It was very intense. It was like it was like having like five years' worth of emotion in five hours. Wow. And it just all comes out like the, you laugh and cry and, you know, people will. And even the purging is, you know, that was part of my experience. So that was just stuff that needed to come come out of me. So it just came out. Mm. 
Yeah. And what did the facilitators do? How did they facilitate? You said they're walking around. Uh, so yeah. what, what were they yeah, doing? Yeah, they were, they were lovely. They were doing whatever needed to be done, like fixing your pillow, getting you a blanket, handing you a tissue, getting mm. you a drink of water, getting you a pot to throw up in, to helping you to the bathroom. You know, if, you know, we were, if people were crying and visibly upset, they would hold, you know, like come and just hold people in an embrace or take someone and put their head on their lap. It was what it seemed like to me, what they were doing. It felt like we were all little children and they were mothering us. Okay. The best, the best way it, it was, they mothered us. They took care of us like little children um, because in a way we were, <laughs> so mm. they, they protected us. They made sure no one wandered outside, you know, nothing bad happened, that we weren't alone. They would hold our hand, talk to us. Um, They were playing the soundtrack from the Johns Hopkins research study, which is a combination of classical music and um, kind of Native American type music. Okay. There were some people that had their own music and the headphones on, so they were not listening to the ambient music. But we weren't really, I was there with a dear friend of mine and she and I were kind of on a couch together. So, so she and I were somewhat engaged, but we were each having our own experience too. Wow. But we, and, we laughed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. And what, what, so what about, what about after this experience? Was there a come down for, you? was there anything like that, that where you got brought down to earth that felt uncomfortable or was there something, what was it about this Yeah. That, happened next that took you to where well, you're one of the things now. I love yeah I love one of the things I love about psilocybin is that the come down the landing is very soft okay and you feel just absolutely delicious that day and the next day and actually what I know now what I didn't know then is it resets your nervous system so the best analogy, there's two analogies that I use. Okay. I'll just put them out there. One is that if you think about your body as an instrument and it's vibrating at a frequency, it's playing, it's playing your life. Your mm-hmm. body is playing the song that is your life. And because of experiences, we can play out of tune as an adaptation to the world we're living in, the experiences that we're having. It's, a, it's an adaptation to, and we don't even know we're playing out of tune. So it's like taking your instrument to the master tuner and you get it tuned. Wow. And you hear, you hear your music, you feel it, you, 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 you feel it. Um, the other analogy I use is like getting your tires aligned on your car. So let's say you learn to drive when you're 15 and you're 16, you're not such a great driver and you're driving a certain way. You're running up on curbs, you're running in ditches, you're kind of not, and you're able to take your car in and you get your tires aligned and then you get out on the road and you're like, wow, my steering wheel's not pulling to the right. I'm, I'm driving straight and you get to experience that. The, what I like about both of those analogies is there is, it's temporary. So if, I'm a, if I have an instrument and I don't change the way I'm playing my instrument, I'm going to get out of tune again. Mm. 
And maybe even if I even if I do my best just living a human life and dealing with life on life's terms, I'm going to get out of tune, right? Maybe there's no way to even stay in perfect tune all the time. Um, but for me, I had never experienced being in tune. Because of things that had happened to me, the domestic violence was going on when I was in utero. So I didn't have a felt sense of safety in my body from even before I was born. Okay. I, I didn't mm. know what that felt like to be me and feel safe. I had never had that experience. Um, so the answer to that question, what is it like after, you know, that is where in, in that psychedelic world, they talk about it and they use the word integration. So you take this understanding, this knowing, this awareness, and then you want to bring it back into your everyday life. And for me, I needed more than one. And in that psychedelic world, we use words like macrodose or microdose. And I'll talk about the difference between those. I needed more than one macrodose experience to just kind of bring me back into tune more than once. And a lot of the research that's being done um, in the U.S., the one the, the medicine that's going to be improved um, first is MDMA. MDMA is actually not a psychedelic. It is um, an entheogen. It, it, I don't want to go talk about that too much. Mm. But what I, I, the reason I bring that up is because in the studies – what they've done is they've done one experience a month for three months in a row with therapy every week, and that's the protocol. So even in that protocol, it's an understanding that it's not a one-and-done situation. And that's been done with PTSD. And the, the, the results with MDMA in the MAPS is, MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic um, Studies in the U.S. Okay. And so they've been doing championing championing the research here, leading the research. Um, that's how their protocol has been set up is, um, is the three experiences and the results they're getting. So typically someone who has a diagnosis of PTSD, the chances of them having recovery from that is less than 30%. Wow. With even if the best of circumstances with mm. pharmaceuticals and therapy, with the MAPS protocol, with this, with this research, they are getting results of close to 70% of people who go through it no longer meet the diagnostic criteria for PTSD. Those results are so amazing. Yeah, and, huge. And so I think we're just now scratch. And I personally, based on my own experience, because I've had MDMA experience too, I think psilocybin is a better medicine. Well, there's a big come down um, that comes with MDMA, isn't there? <laughs> hmm? There's a big come yeah, down. Yeah, so MDMA, could, yeah, yeah, for people harsh. who don't know, that that's ecstasy. It's mm. ecstasy. And um, it, you know, many people, have, if they've used ecstasy in a, in a recreational way, which I, I never have, so I'm just going to say from what I understand, mm. is that people get it and it's not pure, and that could impact their experience of it. But... What MDMA does, 
what we what we think it does. Uh, the thing is, with a lot of these things, also we don't really know. We think we know what's happening. We guess. We we speculate, um, but there's still a lot of unknown. So what the hypothesis is is that there's a lot of dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, and oxytocin that's released into the nervous system. So people feel very loving, connected, mm. outgoing, but it also um, really depletes your store of those neurotransmitters. And so then to the two to three days following it, you feel a little fried. You feel a little bit like mm. you just feel fried. Psilocybin, it's the opposite. You feel refreshed and rejuvenated. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a more, it's a natural substance. So I, I think I understand why MDMA has been the one that was easier to study and easier to get mm. approved um, and why psilocybin's a little bit trickier. So I, I understand why it's gone that route, but I, I'm really hopeful that the psilocybin's not far behind. So what is, what, I guess what makes, Australia yeah. just, just Australia just decriminalize all or... I. I don't know if they legalized or decriminalized mm. all uh, psychedelics just in the last month. Well, I've not, I've not heard that. No, it's but happening. It is happening, but um, I live in the UK. It's quite a conservative country to some degree. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear yeah. around psilocybin or any type of drugs. Um, you know, we've had uh, Professor Nutty and uh, any any um, advice that gets brought out which seems to suggest that there needs to be a a different way of thinking around drugs gets shut down quite quickly by elements of the media and various politicians and uh, right-wing uh, Christian groups so seem to really target it quite quickly. So why do you think there's so much fear around something that could be so useful? That's a really deep question about mm. why humans fear fear change. Or, I mean, really what we're talking about is the fear of the unknown. No. So we could probably have a whole mm -hmm. other conversation True. about why humans fear the unknown. Um, so I think it's basic fear of the unknown. And there's a saying that in healthcare, doctors are down on what they're not up on. <laughs> and so I think it's ignorance. Mm -hmm. I think like for me as a practitioner, if you would have asked me 20 years ago before I understood hey, what do you think about magic mushrooms to help me with my depression? I would have said, that's a bad idea. And I would have said that out of ignorance because I didn't know. Mm. It wasn't because I had researched it and understood it and looked at all the data. It, was, it would have been out of ignorance. Um, and so, you know, why do people remain ignorant about anything? Uh, laziness not wanting to um, make waves if they're in a group, like you mentioned. So, so we have structures in society. We have families. We have religions. We have politics. So these are all structures, right? Mm. And human beings like to be part of a group. So you start um, challenging that, and then, you know, it, it's, it's scary. Human beings don't thrive as well when we're alone. And so 
you know, why does anyone speak out about anything, you know, and, and it threatens safety. Mm. The, the woman that um, led the, the um, retreat in the Netherlands, her name is Stefana Boss, and she shared brilliant, beautiful human being who um, was raised, you know, on, in, based on her history in a pretty privileged setting. And her, her father was very high up in, I think in the UK in um, uh, finances or somewhere. And when she started on this path, he was very concerned. He thought his daughter was really going down a bad path and mm. she was destined for ter- terrible things. And it wasn't, she shared the story when she was on my podcast about how then after Michael Pollan's book came out, some of the research, and then her dad started to come around. And um, so, so I think, I mean, listen, parents are genuinely concerned about their children and doing something that is mind altering has, has had a lot of negative consequences. But if, if you just look at like, Okay, alcohol. You could probably go mm. down any street in the UK and get as much alcohol as you want, right? True. Yeah. In any in in town. Yep. Right. If you look at the data, if you look at the data of harm to self and harm to others based on the use of substances, alcohol far and away exceeds any negative impact that mushrooms have ever had on a human being. So why? So that data is there. It, it's it's not my opinion. It's not my thought. It's just it, the data is there. So why is it that you wouldn't think twice about offering a friend a beer when they come into your house? But if you know, but if you are talking about a psychedelic mushroom, mm. that there's a lot of fear around it. So there's that, and then I think we as humans are afraid of ourselves. And we're afraid of, you know, everybody's heard of someone having a quote unquote bad trip, right? Mm, yeah. Have you, um, right? So so that's another fear, I think. So let's say someone reads about it, they understand it, they're, they think, okay, this is something I want to try. Part of the conversation they're going to want to have with me is, what if I have a bad trip? You know? Yes, a good one. What if I feel... What if I feel, um, if, what if I don't like how I feel, you know, what if I have an experience that's uncomfortable, you know, then what? And I think we do, I know we do a lot of things as humans to avoid feeling uncomfortable and that, that's normal and healthy, but I also think it, it very much limits our growth sometimes. I mean, people stay in all kinds of situations that are not healthy because they're afraid. Yeah, we call them, um, they call them familiar zones, not comfort zones, because uh, they're not comfortable, but they're familiar. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so we stick to what right. we know. The ego likes to stick to what it knows. So um, psychedelics, obviously, it's, uh, and there's a lot of information that seems to suggest that it's uh, you, you can have a bad trip and there's lots of scare stories. Um, but what are some of the success stories? I, you've talked some, to me um, before about some of the success stories that you've seen uh, from people um, exploring psychedelics with you therapeutically. Um, t- 
tell us some more about those. Yeah. There's so many and they're so different because each person comes to psychedelics for a different reason. You know, some mm -hmm. people come to it. Um, like I've worked with people with chronic pain who come to it for that reason. And they were able to process and deal with the underlying psychological trauma that was keeping that chronic pain in place. Um, I have someone I recently worked with. He had a fair amount of trauma growing up. Um, and he had suffered, this is going to maybe sound like, what does this have to do with anything? But he had suffered from, um, motion sickness, severe motion sickness mm. his whole life. Like he couldn't watch certain movies. Like he couldn't watch Avatar, the movie, like those kinds of movies he couldn't yeah, watch. Yeah. He couldn't go in the car to take, he didn't come, he didn't decide to, you have psilocybin, you know, he was work. he worked with his therapist and had an experience, um, with her and um, he was doing it for other reasons and but his motion sickness went away completely wow like completely it, it's someone else. so this is why you know it's something with the nervous system that's being rebalanced mm. right yeah that yeah, yeah. that that was an imbalance in his nervous system as someone else who he had been in the mdma trials and was still dealing with his yeah, he was one of the people that did not do great in that trial, and his therapist recommended him for psilocybin. And after his experience, he had always and he's in his forties and had really bad acne on his back, like cystic acne. Like he had to wear a t-shirt at night because he would have like pus on his back oh, and that okay. bad. Yeah, yeah. After psilocybin experience, it went away. Really? Oh wow! Okay. He was not, he was not coming in for that, but he was like, this is what is happening here. But the reason I bring that up is because when the nervous system is out of balance, mm. it can manifest in many, many different ways. It can manifest as anxiety. It can manifest as depression, but it can also manifest as hormone imbalance. It mm. can also manifest as an immune imbalance. It can manifest as pain. Like, the, the human body is a self-healing technology. I believe that 100% hands down. So if the human body is not healing, if there is an illness that's chronic, it's because there is some, there's really only a couple reasons why that happens. Okay. One, there's an injury. Yep. Two, there, your body is starving for something and that could be something physical, a nutrient, or it could be something mental or an emotional thing. So it's physical, mental, or an emotional. Any of those things can create illness. Or you are being exposed to a toxin. And that toxin can be physical, mental, or emotional. If, if your body has what it needs, the injury is taken care of, and toxins are removed, the body self heals. Wow. I've seen it over and over and over uh, again. It is. Um, yeah, it's real. It's really yeah, powerful. Big, yeah, these are big results. Um, do do do. You, so when you when someone goes through a like, is it like a course? Did they have a course of psilocybin, or is it you know like you did? Obviously, you did. Um, you talked about microdosing and microdosing. What would be the process for someone if they were thinking yeah. this? This sounds like something I could explore. Is it a, a treatment that lasts for yeah, days, so weeks? Those are really great questions, and. Um, 
The good news and the bad news is there are lots of options. So it can be confusing for the person who's mm. exploring. Okay. There are, you can go to the Netherlands. The group that I went with now is called Alala Ho. So if anybody wants to explore that, it's Alala Ho and they hold retreats in the Netherlands. Um, there's a, comp- there's a, a group called, I think it's Synthesis and they also hold retreats in the Netherlands. So those are options. There um, are options in Costa Rica, Jamaica, Mexico, um, other parts of the world. Um, there are many people in the whole world that work um, in the underground. So because it's not legal in most parts of the world, they work in the underground. And there are people that work within a religious context. In the U.S., we have religious freedom and we can use um sacraments for healing in the religious framework. And so that's the framework that I have worked in is using it in as a religious sacrament and um, exercising my my religious and and you know allowing other people to know about their religious mm. freedom to use a sacrament for healing. And you know it's another whole discussion about the, the role of psychedelics played in the origins of religion. So there's some really good information out there about that. Um, that's, that's another whole topic. So the religious aspect. And yeah. then most of the time, if people are going to a retreat center like the Netherlands or um, in Mexico or Jamaica, they're having what you would call a macro dose experience. And rule of thumb is that's about three grams of, with psilocybin, it's three grams of dried. And now some people say it's more like four or five. It depends on the type of mushroom that you're using. Some are stronger than others. Okay. But that's about the average. Um, and when they're doing the research studies, they're using, they do it differently in the research studies, but they're using, it's, it's somewhat equivalent to that. And that seems to be what most people um, are going to reliably have a mystical non-ordinary state of consciousness experience. And then some people that go to these retreats, they'll do, they'll do that twice in a week. Um, wow. You know, I, I don't know what Alala Ho is doing now. So, so there's not really a, like everybody's doing it the same way type of, you know, and like I said, that's, that's both good and bad. Um, you know, there's, there's not, a lot of regulation around it mm. at this point. Um, and that's been a lot of controversy and there's a lot of controversy over, um, you know, like with things like peyote and a mescaline and, and ayahuasca that these were used in more uh, indigenous cultures and whether, you know, it's okay for people from different cultures to be using those substances, whether it's appropriate, whether it's, healthy, you know, and I, I'm not going to get into that debate right now. I mm. think it's an interesting debate. Um, so people will go and they'll have an experience. Um, the way that I work with people is I work with them for about three months. And okay. it, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a very solid container that I provide. And, and I'm not saying that it's just what works for me. As, as, you know, knowing what I know and how, you know, how powerful this can be. So I spend about a month and a half preparing people and then about a month and a half 
helping them to integrate after the experience. And that seems to work. And then I also keep people in a group with me ongoing. So I provide a lot of support for people that are having the experience. I, I feel like that's, that's kind of just where we, where the ball has been dropped. If, if that's the case that people might go and they have this tremendous mystical experience and then they don't have the resources to make meaning of it Mm. and to bring it into their relationships and their work life and their and their you know because it can be very destabilizing you know to understand yourself in a much bigger way it can also be very healing Mm. and beautiful and powerful and um, integrating but it can also be destabilizing because you see and experience yourself in a completely different way. And then a lot of people who with psilocybin who macrodose then get interested in something called microdose, which is taking a tiny, tiny amount of that substance periodically. And there's different routines for doing that. Um, there's the, the most popular popularized ones are the Stamets, Paul Stamets protocol, which is taking it as for several days and then taking several days off. And then there's James Fadiman protocol, which is taking it every third day. But there are yeah. lots of people doing okay. all kinds of other things too. So um, so when you microdose, yeah. do you, do you microdose? Mm-hmm. You do? So what's that, what's that like for you? I, ha- I have, a, I have, yeah. I have off and on. Yeah. And I actually created a course um, to, that I teach people because I found that a lot of people who had the macrodose were really interested in microdosing. And mm. I found that it was taking me about two hours to explain it and get people set up and get them what they needed. Mm. So I was like, let me just record all of this and put it in a course and then people can have it and they can watch it as many times as they want. And they have all their resources and it works for me and it works for them. So yeah, I have a, I have a microdosing course. Um, so the interesting thing about microdose and one of the most difficult things to wrap your head around is when you have the bet, when you have the right microdose, you can't tell it's, it's imperceptible. So So you might be thinking, why would you do something that's imperceptible? Right. Yeah, I'm confused. I'm confused. Right. Right. That is. It's kind of confusing. Yeah. So if you think about it more like a vitamin, microdosing is more like a vitamin, right? Uh, so okay. if you're taking vitamin C or vitamin D, you can't really tell the day that you took your vitamin C and the day you didn't. If, you, or if you're taking mm. some kind of energy drink with B12, maybe you can tell the days you take it and the days you don't, right? Yeah, yeah. But you're not feel, you don't feel high, you know, when you're microdosing. If you feel high, <clears throat> excuse me. That is not a microdose. That is something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't, it's imperceptible, but over time, your, I'm just going to go back to the instrument analogy. Your instrument plays better. And that mm-hmm. can show up in more creativity, better mood, better sleep, less cravings. One thing I didn't say that has been across the board when people macro have a macro dose experience, nearly all the time, they say their their cravings for nicotine, alcohol, and any other substance go away for at least a period of time. 
Well, that's, that's, and that that's... has been kind of an unexpected. Yeah, that's and the and the Johns Hopkins research showed that too. That like pretty much every and they were doing it for depression. They weren't doing it to stop smoking, but they would report back, "Hey, you know, my craving for nicotine went away after that psilocybin experience," which is also brings me back to understanding that these cravings for substances that are not good for us come from a dysregulated nervous system. Mm. We're, we're trying to soothe ourselves in some way. That's, that's what we're trying to do. Anyway, I got off topic um, with the microdosing. Um, yeah. So the micro, so, so people do it for cravings, um, for creativity, just for improved brain function. There's a little bit of research with Alzheimer's now. It helps with memory. Oh, so okay. It's just good for your brain. And we know mushrooms are good for us. We know about all the medicinal qualities of, of mushrooms. And uh, many people, especially if they're doing working on improving brain function, they will mix um, lion's mane, which is a type of medicine, um, mushroom that we know is very ben- beneficial for helping you to create new connections in your brain, mm. which helps with memory and mood and, and those things. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I take a question. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to ask ask something else, but I do take um, a mix of seven mushrooms with my coffee each day. I put a yeah. really nice mushroom yeah. powder, um, and yes. yeah, yeah, you know, I bought this for you know because apparently it helps uh, with adaptogens and it helps with stress and um, yes. you know having a busy mm-hmm. mind and things. And for me, it's I like to be as a mindset coach, be at my optimum, and uh, you know, add in some MCT oil yeah. and. Um, mushroom uh, mushroom powder to my coffee is uh one thing but taking a micro dose um it, obviously i i get that it's obviously it's i love the analogy of the music uh, an instrument of being in tune mm-hmm. i really like that so because obviously with, yeah. with vitamins and even my mushroom powder i can't tell if i've taken it or not but i'm aware that i feel exactly. good yeah i'm aware that i yeah. um, my brain feels like it's in a good place um, so I, I, you know, I wish that sort of thing was, uh, more legal here in the UK for us to explore. Um, but we have a lot of people who are quite resistant. Well, to it. I'll, I'll tell you we, one yeah. thing that's fascinating. Yeah. You can actually legally buy mushroom spores anywhere in the world. Have, well, I don't know if anywhere, anywhere in the U S and the UK and Canada. Yes. It comes in a syringe and it says for research purposes only. But anybody, anybody can okay. buy it and grow. Yeah. And actually the course that I learned that I took to mm. when I was learning about this was was created by someone out of the psychedelic society in London. But for so, anyone anyway. who's would you advise I mean, obviously people are gonna be listening to this going, is he is he promoting legal drugs or illegal drugs? <laughs> Is there is there so uh, you wouldn't advise someone just to buy a syringe of um spores i mean i mean working with a practitioner like yourself having facilitators is one thing isn't i think that sounds important Mm -hmm. Uh, trying this thing i think lots of people might be thinking oh i wonder if i could get this stuff for myself and try it myself would you recommend that or it is important to go to a therapist and or someone who's clinically trained to help i have mixed feelings about that because i feel like um putting barriers between people and making like you have to go to the authorities Mm. for that and you can't trust yourself. I think that's something that we need to evolve out of 
okay. um, that the, you know, the doctor or the nurse is the authority and they're going to tell you what to do. So I, I have that kind of in my awareness and in my consciousness. And I feel like when you start saying you have to go to some authority and you can't explore this on your own, then it starts to decrease the accessibility of of mm, something okay. that could potentially be helpful. That being said, to take especially a big dose of any psychedelic with not um, a lot of thought put into the whether this is, first of all, safe. Safety, safety, safety is number one. Mm. And so it is not safe to take a mind-altering substance, you know, whether that's, you know, a bottle of whiskey or tequila or, you know, a psychedelic mushroom, I don't think it's safe to do that and not, and not make sure your surroundings are safe. You know, Mm. like I wouldn't recommend someone drink a bottle of whiskey and get in a car and drive downtown any more than, you know, it's the same thing. It's not safe. It's not safe to alter your consciousness and your awareness and then not make arrangements for your body to be safe and and protected. So whether that's some kind of authority or a retreat center, um, you know, safety is number one. So, So I'm talking about physical safety. Yeah. And then there's the mental and emotional safety. So if a person has, has a history of trauma and then they, they're in a situation where a lot of strong emotions come up and there's no one there to hold. In this world, we talk about holding space a lot and sometimes there's confusion about that. But it's just kind of to be a, a presence in the room, holding your hand, um, giving you a hug or whatever. So you're not alone. Because to experience something like that and to be alone can be, and then it becomes an additional trauma. And certainly people, unfortunately, have been taken advantage of in all kinds of settings with alcohol, marijuana, and all kinds of things, you know, where people have had non-ordinary states of consciousness, they have not been in their right mind, and other people around them have taken advantage of them. That has happened throughout human history, and it's mm. no different with psychedelics. So just be aware, you, you, you know, there needs to be someone who's the safe ego in the room and that can be there for you. I, what I don't think is that it has to be a medically trained professional. I think when you start making it that way, then the accessibility goes down because the Mm. expense goes way up. And that's been the controversy over the research is um, a lot of people who have chronic depression, anxiety, trauma, they also socially, economically don't have a lot of resources. So if you set the barrier so high that only people that are up, you know, Mm. can have access to it, then I just think that's something that we're going to have to grapple with as we, as we bring it through. Like, how do we keep, how do we keep it safe without, without going so crazy with what safety means that we make it inaccessible in the process? Yeah. There has to be a level of autonomy with it, doesn't it? Yeah. I think also, I mean, if, if someone has experienced a lot of trauma, it would a psychedelic sometimes trigger that, and if they haven't got someone there as an empathetic witness, 
would that make the trauma much yes. worse? I mean, I've had clients who come to me who've taken, well, it's mostly been cannabis um, or, or they've done other types of drugs and they've had um, a bad trip. And unfortunately it's lodged yes. in their psyche and it's something that yeah. uh, seems to keep repeating. So if someone's got a history of really severe yes. trauma, it would be advised to maybe have helped to do that you know, professionally, maybe with, with, um, a psychedelic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, I think on some level we all have trauma. Mm. I think being human, um, it's just a matter of degree and how it's playing out and how it's manifesting. Um, but yeah, by all means, whatever whatever the challenge is, get as much help as you can, you know. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, and and have the resources there, and realizing that, you know, to go through a, a situation where you don't have the resources to process it, it is it is going to be lodged in your system as another trauma, mm. and that is very unfortunate and. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that for anybody. Um, so it's like, I, I walk that fine line between making, you know, safety, 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 safety is number mm. one. And that comes across in a lot of ways. Um, but also accessibility and um, educating people about, about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, doing a, you're doing a great job, and you have a community. Is that right? So uh, we, we have to we have to go. We have to end yes, the in- interview yeah. soon. I could talk to you all, all afternoon about it, but uh, people can reach mm-hmm. out to you, and if they're interested in yeah, finding so out more, yeah, I have more, a website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a website, laurasolomon.com. It's L-O-R-A-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. and I also have a YouTube channel. Find me under under that name. I've um, some videos on there that I talk about it. I have my recently published book, Wounds to Wisdom, which I talk a lot about my story and psychedelics are a very small part of this, but I didn't leave it out because it is part of my story and I didn't think my story would be complete without including it. And um, the work that I do is really built off of that body of work, um, which is, I know we've talked a lot about psychedelics today. Yeah. But really, my work is about is about what activating our ability to heal. You know, that just happens to be one powerful tool that we may or may not use on our journey. But the the message and the teaching that I have is that if we, you know, if we if we look at what's possibly missing, if we take away a toxin and we deal with an injury, that we are self-healing technology. That is our birthright. And I believe it with all my heart. And so that's really what what my teachings are all about. I love it. I love it. I've had a few guests on talking about um promoting our ability to heal. And I get so many comments uh, emailed a message on social media just saying this is really resonating with me so uh so wounds to wisdom i love that it sounds uh there's a lot to be gained uh you know just from mm-hmm. having I, I you know i call it like i had an anxiety disorder that was a 
a, an awakening for me. And there's so much wisdom that came from that. Um, I, I, what I'll do is I'll put also all your, your details into the show notes so that people can contact you and find out more. Um, thank you so much for a really, really fascinating uh, conversation. Um, and, uh, there's so much thank about you, this Paul. that we could explore on a deeper level. Uh, but thank you for all the work that you're doing. I know that it's having quite a powerful impact. And uh, I know there's a community that people can join if they want to uh, converse with like-minded people. Um, I, again, but thank mm-hmm. you so much. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you for spending your time and energy with me for this very special episode. If you would like to find out more about the Mindset Change WhatsApp group to engage with myself and a wonderful community, or ask about the new group coaching events, or my one-to-one coaching, contact me through the show notes. Stay awake, stay aware, and have the most incredible day. Mm